Press in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that it's in Christ alone. Our hope is found, Lord. In the midst of the brokenness around us and within us, God, we thank you that we have life. We have peace. We have strength. We have hope because of Jesus Christ. God, you've given us that which we do not deserve. And we thank you. And we praise your great name through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, go ahead and open your copy of God's Life-Giving Word to the book of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 12 this morning. Thank you, Pedro, Pam, team, uh, for your amazing leadership today. And uh, as we turn there, just a couple of quick uh, heads-ups and announcements. So uh, after the service today, we have what's called Next. If you are new or, or newish to Redemption Hill, never had the opportunity to check out Next, it's an opportunity for you to learn a little bit about Redemption Hill and, uh, and connect with some other people. So it'll be outside. It'll be brief, 15 minutes. Pastor John will lead uh, through that time. Um, and then our college students, whether you're here or participating online, next Saturday we have our next equip day for our college students. And the question is focused on where am I going? This is a question that we're all asking in life, but it's especially a relevant question for uh, our college students in a, in a season of of learning and planning and transition. Uh, it's going to be a great opportunity next Saturday. Uh, so, so get more details from uh, James Potter, our college director, if you need more information about that. And then finally, next Sunday is our anniversary celebration. Nine years. Wow. Thank you, God. Amazing. Uh, just what God has done uh, over the course of uh, our existence, our short existence as a church family. So not only do we have a great service planned, but we have a drive-through celebration plan. I think most of you either participated or, or seen, you know, these drive-through birthday parties. And, and so the pastors and our leadership, we've, we've uh, pulled together a great plan uh, for you after the service, whether you are here at Mefford High or online, we want you to, after the service ends, to drive to Medford High to experience what we've prepared for you. Uh, it's going to be a, a great Sunday. We have some special surprises. I can't give them away, but they are planned. They are ready, and you don't want to miss out. So if you miss out next Sunday, there's no promise that you're going to get to experience uh, what we have planned for you. Okay, so it's going to be a great Sunday. Uh, bring a friend. Invite someone to, to worship with you in this safe but worshipful uh, place. Well, uh, today as we wrap up, our Seek Justice series, we're, we're going to look at the mission of Jesus Christ from Matthew chapter 12. I mean, as we, as we think about uh, bringing this, this short series, this four-week series to a close, I can think of no better place to turn than the values and the vision and the mission of Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus, we want to understand his heart on the issues of justice and racial justice and every issue because as we follow Jesus into his footsteps, those glowing footsteps of Christ lead us to the path of life and light, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. And so as we, we look at his, his mission, not just what his mission was, but how he went about his mission and what ultimately motivated his mission. 
Uh, we're going to see all of that here in Matthew 12, verses 15 through 21. So follow along as I read these verses for us. Matthew writes, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from me, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. As we absorb these words from the word of God, I have one overarching encouragement that I believe will not only set our minds and hearts on what Matthew is communicating about the life and mission of Jesus, but it will also, which is our prayer, to propel us way beyond a four-week series as we seek to be justice seekers, and especially when it comes to this issue of racism and the fierce urgency of now. And so what we see from this, this passage, what we hear is the call to keep seeking justice because Jesus is bringing justice to victory, all right? Keep seeking justice because Jesus is bringing justice to the place of ultimate victory. So this, this morning, what we're going to do is this. We're going to take a closer look at the mission of Christ, not just what he was about, but how he was about what he was about and what we, how he was driven by this ultimate vision that he was not only chasing after, but ultimately bringing through his life, death, resurrection, and ultimate return. And so I want to give you three ways that we can follow Jesus in his justice-bringing mission. The first focuses on the what of his mission and consequently now our mission. And that is first to proclaim justice in the power of the Spirit. Verse 15 begins by telling us that Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And so we have to back up to verse 14 to understand why it is that Jesus is withdrawing from the crowds and from the situation that he found himself in. And verse 14 helps us because it says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So, so here's what's going on. Let me translate it, okay? The, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they wanted to take him out. They wanted to, yes, destroy Jesus. They wanted to kill him. And why was that? It's because they viewed Jesus as a threat 
to their man-made devotion and apparent worship of God because Jesus was doing really great things on their uh, day of worship known as the Sabbath, their day of rest and worship. They said, oh, you can't lift a finger. You can't do anything. And yet Jesus is going about doing good, like healing people uh, and this man with a withered hand in, in Matthew chapter 12. And so this is why they were after him. He disrupted what they felt like was safe and what they felt like God wanted for them and from them. But we see here that as Jesus withdraws, the crowds continue to follow him. It says many followed him and he healed them all. This actually relates to bringing justice, setting things right. But it says that when Jesus healed them all, he ordered them, he instructed them to not tell anyone about it. And we said, like, Jesus, why would you, why would you say that? Why, why would you tell them not to, 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 to tell people, not to make him known, as it says at the end of verse 16? Well, the New American Standard Version helps us out by translating the end of verse 16 as this. He healed them all and warned them not to tell who he was. So, so in other words, Jesus is saying, do not give away my identity. Don't let people know that I am the Messiah. It's not time for that to make the front page of the news. This is what scholars refer to as the messianic secret. And why, like, this makes no sense to our ambitious, capitalistic ears. It's like, hey, Jesus, you got a crowd. You just healed all these people. You can tell them to go into every village and announce what you've done so that this crowd will like double, triple, quadruple in size. And then when you go do it again, we can do it again. But Jesus knew two things about the revelation of his identity. Number one, he knew that people, because they expected an earthly ruler, would seek to make him king so that he would overthrow their Roman oppressors. We even see this in John chapter 6, verse 15. It says that they tried to make him king by force, but he withdrew again. But not only that, he also knew that the, the revelation and the, and, the, and the claim and the announcement that Jesus is the Messiah, the true deliverer of God's people and all, all people who follow Jesus would escalate the tension and opposition that he was facing with the religious leaders. Yes, it would work to expedite the ultimate reason he came, which was to die on the cross for our sin. And so as, as Matthew sees how Jesus is going about his mission, he sees the fulfillment of what Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. And 10 times in this gospel, the gospel of Matthew, Matthew will use this, this formula. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And so we see how Jesus again and again, this is one of the reasons I believe 
in Jesus and in the truthfulness of what the Bible has to say about him because all of the Old Testament prophecies are being fulfilled in Jesus as he lived his life. But as we learn about his mission, verse 18 brings it into focus. Isaiah speaking the words of God in Isaiah 42, starting in verse 1, says this, Behold, my servant. The word behold means to look and to linger in a long vision, taking in who Jesus is. And oh, by the way, when it comes to the good work of seeking racial justice or the good work of doing any good thing, if you want to grow in that, here's the secret. Behold Jesus. Just keep looking at Jesus. Just keep opening up your Bible and reading about Jesus. Keep worshiping and turning your attention and singing that. In Christ alone. Come on, I told Pedro I took chorus in high school, and he laughed at me a couple of weeks ago. I mean, how's that, how's that for treating your, your pastor? Anyway, I love this guy. But uh, it's, it's, it's beholding him, seeing who he is. And the Old Testament tells us that actually it was the nation of Israel that was supposed to be God's true servant and take his truth and justice to the rest of the nations around them, and yet they failed in that. That's why he had to send Jesus Christ, his one and only son, into the world to bring his mission of truth and justice to fulfillment. But I love the way that that God describes his, his servant. He says, my servant is chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. What we learn here is that Jesus served people. He served everyone out of a sense of intimacy between himself and God the Father. Jesus, Jesus did everything that he did understanding how much God the Father loved him and was pleased with everything that he did because he was seeking the Father's honor. We hear an echo of the Father's words from heaven at Jesus' baptism where he says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we say this a lot at Redemption Hill, but we can never tire of saying it. All of the ministry we do, ministry just means serving people for their good and the glory of God. All of the ministry we do comes out of our identity and who we are before God and our intimacy with God. It's always identity and intimacy, then ministry. Which leads me to share this one. Please don't miss this. When you know God loves you, I'm going to say that again. When you know God loves you, and there is nothing in the world that could ever change that. Nothing. 
that will equip you with an ability to move fearlessly out and do whatever it is that God has called you. We, we serve out of this place of identity and intimacy, knowing how much God loves us, because what it, love secures. Love gives us confidence. Love protects us. When we know that we're loved, then we are empowered then to do whatever, because you can think whatever you want to think about Pastor Tanner, but Pastor Tanner is loved by God. And so I'm going to keep doing what he's called me to do, because it's ultimately about his pleasure. And of course, you can say the same thing about yourself. Jesus had the Father's love, but he also had the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what God goes on to say. He says, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Let's, let's push pause and do a little Christology for a minute, okay? That means the study of Christ. Jesus was, yes, fully God, the eternal Son of God, who left eternity and entered time and space in the form of a baby named Jesus. But as the eternal Son of God, born of a woman, he was not only fully God, he was also fully man. And a lot of times what we miss is we think like, well, Jesus was divine. He could do whatever he wanted to do. That's how he knew everything and he could do anything. Listen, what we see in the gospels, which is why the gospels talk about Jesus being baptized and also baptized with the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, showing that the, the Spirit rested upon him, was every good thing that Jesus did in his life and ministry was empowered by God the Holy Spirit. He was healing people because he had the power of the Holy Spirit. He had words of knowledge about people and he knew what people were thinking but without them even saying it because he had the power of the Holy Spirit. He was one who taught with authority like no one had ever heard. Why? Because he had the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the simple conclusion, which is very important for us. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, How much more do we? Thank you. That's my sister. She came today. I love it. Thank you. We need God's Spirit. We need God's Spirit to enter into this work. There's, there's always such a close relationship in the Bible between the Holy Spirit and the, the Word of God going forth. So as Jesus is proclaiming justice, he is doing that in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we step back and we remember, what is justice? We talked about this in week one of our series. Justice simply means setting things right. Setting things right. And if we think about what Jesus is doing in bringing justice and proclaiming justice, Jesus is bringing it in a comprehensive fashion. So think about it. Jesus did not come to right a few wrongs. Jesus came to right every wrong. That's why when he's healing people, he's 
He's bringing justice. That's not the way that God wants our world. That's not the way that it was in the beginning. That's not how it's going to be in the very end. Jesus came, as Isaiah would say in another place, to proclaim liberty to the captives. The, the, the proclamation and the setting free of people, yes, from our sin, most importantly, but also from, from any oppression in this life that, that brings inequalities. Jesus is not about it, and he's coming to set it right. And that's why we get to join him in his justice mission. And so we proclaim justice in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we want to do so by reflecting Jesus in how we go about our business. So number two, I want to encourage you to seek justice with the meekness and mercy of Jesus Christ. Seek justice with the meekness and mercy of Jesus. We see this in verses 19 to 20. Jesus will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. What does it mean that Jesus will not quarrel or cry aloud? I mean, just the phrase before, we saw that Jesus will proclaim justice. So it can't mean that Jesus showed up with a mission of silence, right? He, he, he certainly spoke up. He certainly advocated for the oppressed. He certainly preached truth and justice over and over and over again. But what Matthew is highlighting in Isaiah's prophecy is that the way he went about his mission was that of gentleness and humility. I mean, we think about this, just, just kind of step back and think about the life of Christ. Like, Jesus never lost an argument. I mean, think about it. Like, if anyone wanted to quarrel, if anyone like, wanted to start an argument on Facebook, you know, it's like Jesus could have been the first in line because he never lost an argument. And yet... Though he, yes, spoke up, and though, yes, he did point out the, the flaws of thinking and living in people who weren't aligning their lives with God, the, the characteristic of his ministry, even when he did that, was that of meekness and mercy and humility. And as we move into verse 20, I believe verse 20 is perhaps the most helpful verse in the Bible when it comes to the meekness and mercy of Jesus Christ. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Now, let me just explain this for you, okay? Reeds were stems on a variety of plants that were known for their frailty, okay? They were very breakable. And smoldering wicks, you, you've probably lit a candle before, and Maybe not an oil lamp. Those kind of went out a little bit ago with electricity. But, you know, maybe you have a candle and you've seen that wick faintly burning and, and smoldering. And it's not giving off much light or certainly not much heat. And most people would come along and just say, like, hey, the, the wicks burn out. Let's, like, snuff it out. It's done. 
but Jesus in our weakness. Not, not just a reed, but a bruised reed, a, a, a very weak instrument. Jesus doesn't snuff out our wick. He does not break our bruised reed. He came to bandage our bruises. He came to provide fuel for us to burn brighter. And I just want to say to especially our black and brown brothers and sisters, and yes, to, to, to other people of color who experience injustice of various forms, you may feel weary. You may feel weak. And you, in fact, you may say, Pastor Dan, I don't feel weak. I am weak. Here's what you need to understand. Jesus sees your pain. Jesus understands, like no other, what you're going through. He is coming to bring you comfort and peace and strength to help you keep taking the next step and the next step and the next step. This is who our God is. Others may push you down, but the strong arms of Jesus will reach down to lift you up. So as we think about the work of seeking justice in our day, in our time, we too can possess the grace of meekness, which is not, again, it's not a, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is humility expressed toward other people. So, so, so we can be meek toward others because like Jesus, we know whose we are and we know what we're about. We know our identity and we know our mission and destiny. So that, that it fuels us, that enables us to keep moving past the pharisaical critics and skeptics and cynics who seek to deter or destroy the work of seeking justice that we're seeking to do in our own day. And, and let me say one more thing. If, if seeking justice and extending mercy to the weak among us, the, the vulnerable, the marginalized, the oppressed, if that is difficult for you, let me remind you and all of us, we are the bruised reed of verse 20. We are the smoldering wick of verse 20. Jesus extended mercy to you. He did not leave us in our sin. As an old pastor said, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. And so he reaches down. He cares for us as we were spiritually broken, as we were the spiritually smoldering wick. He lifted us up. He gave us life. So how can we not do that for the people around us who are hurting and broken? We proclaim justice in the power of the Holy Spirit. We go about this work with the meekness and mercy of Christ. And then finally, I love this, until we see victory, we let the victory of justice 
strengthen every step. Let the victory of justice strengthen every step. I, I think this is just such an interesting question to pose. How committed is your God to seeking justice? I know of no other vision of reality, no other philosophy or religion that can compare to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is so committed. He not only brought justice in his day, but he is so committed to see the full comprehensive effects of justice flood the earth that he will not stop until Justice is reigning victorious over everyone and everything. Come on, people. Come on, people. There, that, that, amen. Yes. This is, this is our God. Look, look at verse, verses 20 and 21 again. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles walk. When, when it says until he brings justice to victory uh, in verse, at the end of verse 20, uh, some translations say until he leads justice to victory. Some translations say finally he will cause justice to be victorious. But actually all brings, leads, causes, all of those translations are too weak. As, as different scholars point out, this Greek word ekbalo, it means to thrust forward to forcefully bring about. Four times in the rest of this chapter, the word will be used for, guess what? Casting out demons. That, that typically didn't happen like, just like, oh, in a gentle way, like, hey, demon, would you please like leave this person? No, Jesus was coming in with the authority and forcefully casting them out of the person and their oppressing of that person. This is how Jesus is bringing justice to victory. He is bringing justice of victory with the force that will guarantee his ultimate victory. So this morning, I just want to ask you, do you see the vision of Christ? It's a vision of complete justice. Yes, Jesus is bringing justice through us as his people now in part, but there is coming a day when his justice, when he returns, where his justice will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The banner of justice will not hang from rafters in the garden, all right? But it will cover the sky where everyone can see justice wins. Justice is victorious. Justice is reigning as the champion over all injustice. Which as we think about this, this implies what? That there is a struggle for justice to be brought to victory. I mean, we need, we need to keep it real, right? We need to understand that when we seek to do good, when we seek to bring about God's justice, as we seek to follow in the justice bringing footsteps of Jesus Christ, we will face opposition not only from people around us, but from 
Also, God's enemy himself, Satan, and demonic forces. Guess what? Racism is demonic. And the, the kingdom of darkness is not fired up right now about the attention, not just nationally, but yes, even in this specific church. He will seek to deter us. He will seek to distract us. He will seek to get us in the conversations that could potentially divide us rather than unite us. But God is calling us as we see his vision, this ultimate vision of victory, to know that, yes, that's what's motivating us to keep taking the next step and the next step and the next step. As we keep fighting and persevere in the work of seeking justice, the justice that Jesus is bringing, and this is so important for our work of seeking justice, by the way, the, the justice that Jesus is bringing, listen, is not just social justice. There will be perfect social justice one day because Jesus will bring it to victory. But Jesus is also bringing divine justice. Social justice, justice between people. Divine justice, justice between people and God. And the justice that we all deserve because of our sin and rebellion against God was to be separated from God forever. To be lost and left to our sin, to experience not heaven, but hell. And yet, Jesus in his grace, God in his grace, sends Jesus to die on the cross, to take our punishment for our sin. So that in the words of Romans 3, 26, that God might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, God is just. He can't just ignore sin. Like, no one wants us to ignore injustice, right? No one wants to ignore us to ignore racism. And rightfully so. But in the same way, just as we can't turn a blind eye to the evil around us, much, much more cannot God turn his eye to our sin and the wrong and the evil that we have committed against him and against one another. So he must be just. He must deal with our sin. He must punish our sin. That's why Jesus died in our place. So that if we look to Jesus and receive the gift that he offers us, we can be justified. We can be counted righteous through the work of Jesus Christ. And, and, and why is this so important? Well, twofold. Okay, number one, in him, in Jesus, verse 21 says, in his name, the Gentiles will hope. This is, this is a promise saying that not just the, the people of Israel, but people all over the world from every people group on the planet are going to put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus because only Jesus is bringing global peace. Only Jesus is bringing us peace with God that we long for deep down. And so Jesus is, is the, the hope of not just the nation of Israel or this nation. He is the hope of every nation. But then as we go about this work of seeking justice, we, we don't just seek out better, better uh, you know, relations and better opportunities and equalities uh, for, for people as important as they are. But we do so as followers of Jesus Christ. And so in everything we, we tie the good works that we do to the message of 
Christ, that like you're longing for justice. Guess what? My God is bringing justice to victory. What you're longing for, that's what he's bringing. And everything that I do today is just a preview of what he's all about, both today and forever. Every, every opportunity that you take to seek justice is an opportunity to tell someone about the greatest justice we have, Jesus Christ. And so as we started this series, we, we looked at four different kind of hearts. And I hope you've been processing and wrestling with, with these four different hearts. We said that there's the heart of the racist. We know that that is demonic, that is evil. But there are also people who are racially indifferent. You know, let's be colorblind. Let's like, this is not, you know, why are we making such a big deal about this? And, you know, and that also to be racially indifferent is also sinful. Because God is a God whose heart is for justice. He wants us to to come together, which is hopefully at least where you've been living most of your life or where God is bringing you to in an increasing fashion to be a racial reconciler. To say, I want to to treat people as they deserve to be treated. I want want, uh, my my home and my, my, my workplace and my church to look more like heaven and for us to, to reflect God and how we love and treat one another. But I think what so many, and I pray so many of us are waking up, I pray all of us are waking up to, is that it's not enough just to, to, to get along and to seek reconciliation and personal harmony, but that personal harmony must lead us to doing the work of anti-racism, which is pushing back and breaking down racism wherever it is found. So I want to ask you as we conclude this series, where is God leading you to seek justice? How is God leading you to seek justice? This this can't just be a four-week focus on justice and racial justice. We have to individually and collectively take greater steps to seek the justice that we're seeing in the heart of God and in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And so my goal today is that no one can say like, hey, I'm fired up. Jesus is about justice. He's bringing justice to victory and I'm all about it, but I have no clue what to do. That's why I'm going to give you over 20 specific steps right now. And we're going to post these online and put them in our newsletter so you don't have to voraciously write them all down. Some of them are very simple, but all of them are significant. Some of them are going to require a little bit of time. Some of them are going to require a lot of time and energy. As we think about what Jua Robinson last week called personal racism, here's some actions we can take. Pray Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me into your path, the way of everlasting. We have to ask God to root out every speck of racism in our own hearts. It's an ongoing work. We all have biases. We all have prejudices that we have to lay before the feet of Jesus. Number two, speak up and take a stand 
whenever, however, and wherever injustice occurs. And let me say, especially among our family and friends. Be a voice, raise your voice, proclaim justice. Number three, grab a recommended resource. Read with humility and discernment. Not every movement, we aren't endorsing movements and we're endorsing the movement of Jesus, right? So, so not everything you're going to read is like, it's going to be biblical. We, we, we read with humility and with discernment. And then we take accountable action out of what we learn. Number four, this is for, for parents, but as we talk about a Redemption Hill, the, the, the work of discipling and raising up kids is not just for parents. It's for the church, right? Not just in Redemption Kids, but everyone who knows my community group, who loves my, my kids, it's for them too. We need to make sure our children have an understanding of the sin of racism. We need to teach our kids. We've provided resources that we've recommended for you. Here are three related to interpersonal racism. Build relationships by sharing meals with people who do not look like you. Ask people of color about their experience in various contexts and listen humbly and carefully. And then extend empathy and lament. We talked about lament with people of color when acts of injustice occur. The next time there's, a, there's an act of injustice, maybe it's nationally, maybe it's in a work environment. Speak up, empathize, walk with people when they're hurting. Here are some thoughts related to structural racism. Support the work, art, and businesses of the black community and people of color. Look for mentorship opportunities of minorities in your professional work. I love uh, someone in our uh, community group this past week said, in my professional work, we're, we're doing a mentorship of minorities program because there are not many minorities represented in my field. Love that. Ask for a racial diversity training or join an inclusion committee in your workplace. Promote the perspectives and voices of people of color. I think this is something that we can, we, we love that we're an ethnically diverse church, a, a fairly generationally diverse church. But this is something I think we can grow in, in terms of not just on Sundays, but even beyond Sundays, how we're making sure we're hearing diverse perspectives as we're making decisions, as well as highlighting voices of people of color. Then, Follow black leaders, people of color, and social justice organizations on social media. And then recommend them. Add them to your stories. Highlight the good work and the good truths that people are sharing. Related to systemic racism, volunteer at a local nonprofit serving minority groups. We can think about the Mefford Youth Center. We've had a partnership with them for years. Volunteer for local government initiatives seeking racial justice. If you need a reference, we'll give you one. When it comes to social justice issues and all issues, yes, let me say that, be an informed voter. Be an informed voter. Donate to equal justice initiatives like bail funds. Did you know that 50% of lower level offenders in Massachusetts can't afford $500 bail? This is an action that we can take. And then finally, evaluate environments for inclusivity. And again, we try to do this at Redemption Hill, but I think we can do it better. Community events, we can do it better. Sundays, we can do it better. Again, if you have ideas, when you have ideas, 
please let us know so that we can be a church that is extremely welcoming to all people. And then here are some additional actions for our church. Join our next equipped group on racial justice. We don't have a schedule yet, but we will soon. Get more involved in mercy ministry opportunities through Redemption Health. Support a church planter doing work in black and brown neighborhoods. Start or join a prayer gathering or peaceful protest for racial justice. Find a way for your community group to take action together. Partner with other Christians and churches to display kingdom unity in the work of seeking racial justice. And then finally and lastly, share the hope of the gospel with humble boldness. How is God leading you to seek justice? Jesus is bringing justice to victory. And we have the opportunity to reflect the anti-racist heart of God wherever God places us in whatever we do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in your heart is a heart full of justice. And we thank you that the mission of Jesus is one that is not just bringing justice in a way that will meet the needs of a few people, but he's going to bring justice to victory completely. And so, God, I don't know what it is. I don't know how the Holy Spirit is prompting each one of us to step into this work of seeking justice. But, God, we ask that in these moments, as we continue to worship you, God, that even now you would say, hey, I can do that. I can do that. I can step into that. I can follow Jesus there. God, help us to move without hesitation because the the time is urgent. We need to act. God, help us to do so in Jesus' name.